0: Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be going over which draft philosophy best suits the Oklahoma City Thunder and I'm also going to be talking about my big board. In yesterday's episode, we ran through picks 25, 24, 23, 22, and 21. That means today we are going to be going from pick number 20 to pick 16 on my board. And we got some major surprises in this group of five. But starting things out on draft philosophy, this is kind of something that isn't really talked about much and I think everybody for the most part kind of understands the breakdown of it though. And that's just kind of where, you know, Sam Presti's mindset would be at entering draft day. Whether he wants to go after team needs, whether it's potential boomer bus guys, or you know, trying to compliment others, for example. So I broke down three different philosophies that I see a lot of people use just overall in NBA drafts. And I'm gonna be talking about them trying to make a realistic application to what that would look like in a thunder draft with our picks. And then I'm going to be saying which one I believe is the best suited for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And you got to preface this by saying they are picking at 6, 16, 18, 34, 36 and 55. They have six draft picks. That's more than anyone else in this draft class and they cannot have that many spots on the roster. Not all six of those picks can be picked up and just lodged right into that 15-man unit. It's not possible. So there's gonna be trades. Whether we, you know, see, where, you know, where those deals get them to, that's only something we're gonna figure out on Thursday. So it's kind of a complete wash when you're talking about things. But I'm gonna break it down like in a literal sense. That's where the Thunder are gonna be at. And you know, for the likely scenarios where you got trade ups 16, 18, go to 10. I think those ones still kind of suit the same category I think you know once you get to like 10 through 18 there's so many just different questions a lot of the guys are gonna be surprisingly going past a lottery when they were seen as surefire things you know like a week or two ago so I want to start things out with team needs and this comes in which is simply, what does the team need? And we've seen teams try to take swings at team need over and over again. Look at the Sacramento Kings, for example. Whenever they took Marvin Bagley Jr., they took him out of a positional need, uh, you know, as opposed to going after the best available, which was Luka Doncic at the time. Now, honestly, did I have a formulated opinion on either of those guys in that draft class? Not really. Aiton was the surefire number one. Trey Young was the guy who could land just about anywhere. And Luka Doncic, you know, he looked decorated in, in the EuroLeague. And I will say Marvin Bagley had really good moments as well. So whenever the pick came through, like, there was flack immediately. But we saw the long-term effects, like, in the last two seasons. it's It's looking bad for the Kings. And that's just an example. I mean, you could probably imagine other positional picks we've had in the past I guess we could even go with a guy like Terrence Ferguson or like a Josh Hustis just those addressing the two guard every single season because we just never found that shooter I guess that's the best example I think Ferguson was more of that need but also the potential he had but Hustis for sure like those picks of just strictly picking people based off of skill set and truthfully where they were playing at that is kind of the picks i'm talking about you know what i mean if you're going after needs that's where you're going so when you look at this thunder team there are a lot of areas that they could work on i mean they were one of the worst teams in the nba tied for the fourth worst and they're still relatively young so they need more improvements and it's in a good amount of areas but i think the biggest one comes from the positional need of a center You don't have one on the roster. I don't imagine Tony Bradley's going to re-sign with you. So you're going to have no guys to hold it down at the five. You need to be picking some players up if this is the strategy you want to go with. And you have Alperin Sangoon, Kai Jones, Isaiah Jackson. Kai Jones and Jackson, they very well could be at 16 or 18. Sangoon is a complete Rubik's Cube right now. Like, we don't know where he's going to land. And it's gonna be surprising regardless simply because his range is so just fluctuate it's fluctuating everywhere depending on who you're asking you got people putting them at six there's chirps at six you know magic at eight and then you see people where Sangoon's going 23 or 24 to the houston Rockets. so it's like what but i think kai jones and, and uh jackson should be there at the two mid-round selections maybe if you want to package the two you can get up to 10 or something take Alperin Sangoon while he's there but that's that's kind of the basis in the second round you got other guys like Charles Bassey, De'Ron Sharp if he's at that pick so that's where you'd go just because you don't have anything there and I think regardless the Thunder will need to get some center like we can't just forget about it you can't have Isaiah Roby running small ball five for the next five seasons so that's the big deal I think beyond that, you got to look at better shooting. The Thunder were a very bad three-point shooting team. And it was kind of a surprise to me because at the end of the season, it seemed like you had a lot of players getting hot. Poe Teo Maladone, Ty Jerome, he could not miss, it seemed like. But even with that, they were the second worst team from downtown. They shot 33.6% from out there, and they were taking a decent portion of shots a game. They need to get better shooters. That is obvious. Truthfully, I didn't think 3-point shooting was their biggest weakness before I dove into the stats, but it's clear they need some resurgence uh when it comes to shooting. And I think particularly stretch fives would make sense. They don't really have one, they haven't had one. Mike Muscala probably won't be on the team, so you need front court guys who can stretch, but also just some wings or small forwards who can shoot the ball. Sfema Hiluk, he was great. I don't think he's going to be back. So you kind of go to the drawing board. You have Kenrich Williams, but you need to get more shooters. There's guys like Corey Kispert. He's already 22. Does he fit in other categories? No. But if you're going strictly on shooting, Corey Kispert's right there. Chris Duarte, 24 years old. Does he fit the timeline? Maybe not. Doesn't matter. He fits the bill for a need. And then also, I think you need better passers as well. And they're stacking the deck with passers. You got Pokasevsky coming in, Vic Kretschy, Shea Gilders Alexander, amazing passer when he's going, you know, in the half court, driving dish. Teo Maladone is great at dotting people up with cross court passes. So they have a lot of good passers, but they don't have the assist numbers to show it. They were 27th in that category last season. And there's a lot of pretty solid passers in this class there's a lot of point forwards who I don't know if they're really proven necessarily as passers but they're there and like Zaire Williams and Jalen Johnson maybe but I think Scotty Barnes would be kind of that guy I'd probably put his passing game above a Jonathan Kuminga above any other person who would probably be at that pick number six and then once you get to 16 and 18 that's when you look at the Sharif Coopers maybe as a good passer Sengun has also had you know, here and there are some good passes dished in, so that would be the first collection of just strictly going off of team need. Second, though, we got just going after potential, the boom or bust. Guys, position doesn't matter. It's all about where they see this player in the next five years if you're drafting three small forwards in a row so be it you'll figure it out later you just want to keep hitting and hitting and that's why you have six draft picks you have so many shots at finding some success and they can even trade up if they would like to so when you look at pick number six i probably think the most you know high ceiling you have remaining rests in jonathan kaminga and that's of course if he is at that pick you got scotty barnes you got jonathan kaminga only one of those guys is going to be at six, I think we kind of have determined that, but you also have James Booknight as well, so you have those three options, I think those are kind of the front runners, I'd probably rank it as Kuminga Barnes then Booknight in terms of ceiling, and then you go down to 16 and 18, where the options are so blurry, we'll just have to see what's even there, But you got Sangoon again, Keon Johnson, if he free falls. Josh Giddy has been losing a lot of traction. Zaire Williams, Jalen Johnson. Those are the names buzzing around right now. And even if you want to reach, maybe you could go after a JT Thor or something because he does have a pretty unique build. But anyways, that's kind of what you look at there. Even in the second round, you could see JT Thor or an Isaiah Todd. So that's the range. And Then even at 55, EJ Onu, too. I had him going to the Thunder in the mock draft at 55. That's just kind of me, giving personal preference. He's not the youngest player, but he's so raw. Like The competition he's been playing is nowhere close to NBA levels. So maybe if he transitions, he could be a dominant stretch five who is very good at protecting the rim. But for the third option, this is the one that is interesting and something that I've discussed time and time again on this podcast it is complementing their superstar. And we already know, the Thunder have one star on this roster, and it is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. You are not going to trade that guy for the number one pick. You're not going to trade him in general. Like, there's not that many people you'd trade SGA for. If Luka Doncic came in the door, yeah, you'd make that deal. But would that happen? Realistically, not a chance. You're keeping SGA as that cornerstone, and you got to surround him with some very key players so that's what it's about here and you have the picks you have the potential and a very stacked class to surround a good core around SGA you already have Lou Dort you have Baisley, you have Poku those guys are a work in progress I say Dort he's kind of you know he's good on the defensive end surrounding SGA does he check every box no but at least he's developed that three-point shot you have Tao who I don't know is the long-term option but he can hold up at times, and then you go into like the Tide Drones in the second unit, so really, when you look at it, they don't have that second star next to SGA, and this is where you go hunting, but it's not solely based off that boom or bust, it's based off of what is the best selection of picks that will improve SGA's game, and I think at first, it's going to be in finding that backcourt pairing next to SGA. And there's no better person in this class, in my opinion, than Jalen Green when it comes to being a supporting cast guy next to SGA. Because SGA, as we all know, he has the basketball probably more than anybody does in the NBA. When it comes to drives, no one was close to him. He had five more drives in second place, and that was Luka Doncic in second place. He controlled the offense last year, and he needs a break we don't want to see 100 pick and rolls every single game now would it make for some interesting sat lines of course it would we'd see 2k numbers every single wednesday right but we want to have that second guy who can be that enforcer sj can play off the ball the other guy can play off the ball you need to be finding that perfect puzzle piece and i say jalen green's that guy he's probably going to get selected second in this draft and that is a problem i don't think the thunder will be able to trade up but my goodness he can do it all he can fly when it comes to dribbling he has the shiftiest handle probably in the class maybe sharif cooper something might be on that level but his step back is unparalleled in the draft the way he shoots it consistently night in and night out he's a 25 30 point cannon every single game that's who you need next to sga and you need someone who is able to isolate and take that pressure Off of him when necessary even take over the games and with him off the board at six that's where you look at your guy and I don't think Kuminga does it I don't think Scotty Barnes uh Barnes does it you need to find a shooting guard and the guys there are like Moses Moody and James Booknight really I think they'd probably prefer James Booknight and Booknight talked about him two days ago but he wasn't shooting above 30 percent with UConn before in his freshman season he was around the mid 30s but he was showing a nice pull-up game he was showing good shot creation skills especially in his pro day and he's been decent at attacking the basket so i say strictly when you're going on shooting guard he is the best option you could find next to sga at that given pick because he is his three level score i think that's the big deal you need him and then also isolating he can do that you know, when it comes to being that playmaker where he can actually run the point, I don't think James Booknight is that serviceable as one, but I do think he's a alright backup plan behind Jalen Green, who is really just a dream at this point, but, you know, Sam Presti has a lot of picks, give everything to Houston, we might get him, you never know, after that though, you're going to have to take a good and hard look at the front court. You don't have that shooter. And that even goes back to what I was saying about filling needs. You don't have that back court player or front court player who can shoot the lights out from three. Muscala did it for brief moments. Al Horford, when he played with SGA, you know, he was on and off. Sometimes he was good. You're going to need to find that long term solution because Al Horford's not even on the team anymore. And Mike Muscala's almost 30 years old and he's a free agent. I don't know if we're bringing him back. So you would want to get that pick and pop specialist next to SGA. And one of the problems is really there's Evan Mobley. He's a top 3 consensus pick. There's no one at 6 who fits that bill. You just don't have it. There's a gigantic gap between you know Evan Mobley and Sengun for example. And Sengun cannot hit a jumper. So he's out of this category i'd say the next guy potentially there is kai jones he's a late lottery to mid first round guy so if he's there at 16 that's lovely you'd pick him up and you also have isaiah jackson who doesn't shoot a lot of threes hardly shot threes at all at kentucky but what he did do was he did an excellent job with a face up jumper that's what you saw with al horford he's just got that face up you're sagging off he'll take the shot and he will be extremely confident no matter what the result is so Those are the three people. i probably leave Sengun out of the list, but there are still options kind of later on in Bassi and Isaiah Todd. I mentioned them before. I think they still fit it because they can shoot from downtown. Isaiah Todd's really not a true five, though, so you do need to put an asterisk on him. Third thing, I'd probably say that they need some additional wing help, and they need it both from three, but also, they just need to bolster it because when you look at the team right now, there's so much just positional nonsense going on. Like, you have all this versatility, which is a positive, but how are you going to solidify these rotations? You need to get more wings right there cemented into roles, and they need to be able to play defense at a high level, and they need to be able to kind of hide behind SGA. You don't need a ball-dominant player uh, surrounding sga you kind of would want to have one of those guys who can hide in the shadows and just reap rewards those are the three and d guys like a kessler edwards a trey murphy and maybe even a franz wagner if he's there and also on the other side of the token you could say when i mean additional wing help you gotta go for a star and he'll probably need a co-star that was what you were doing with finding the backcourt pairing but if you want to go and roll again you got the high boomer or bust players in zaire and Jalen Johnson, so there's a lot of options here for the Thunder, but I think the way that I would do it is I'd actually combine two of them, and that's like—is that cheating? I honestly don't even know, but I would take a portion of two, which is going boom or bust, and also I'd take that cut of just complimenting the superstar. And I think if you're gonna go into into the lottery, you have Kuminga or something available. I'd probably snag kuminga and then at 16 there's still going to be some lights out scorers next to sga and this is more of a preference if you have all the hope and trust in book Knight, you take book Knight at six easily and at eight maybe just maybe you can trade with the magic and they don't have a need for kuminga if the you know the warriors wouldn't take him i feel like they probably would as a trade ship but maybe not. Then you could try to trade and get both. That's a thing that Sam Presti would love to do. I bet he's already plotted this before. But I'd almost rather they get a small forward, whether it's Barnes, whether it's Kuminga. And then you try to address the guard positions maybe a little bit later. And I think the trade up is the big deal. I think if you get green, it's over with. You take him. But if you have a guy like Kuminga there with such a high ceiling, you might as well go for him. If you have a guy like Scotty Barnes there, you go for him. I think the Barnes versus Book Knight, most people would say Barnes. The real kind of clashing of the minds comes with Kuminga versus James Book Knight. At least that's how I view it right now. But I'd say at 16 or 18, that's when you look towards, okay who is a shooting guard who might be able to play next to SGA. If there's a Moses Moody there, if he somehow, if he somehow falls, if book Knight somehow falls and you can try to make a package deal to move up, just kind of stuff like that. So I'd address it and have small forward at six and then at 16 and 18, you either package it or that's when you go after, you know, that shooting guard and you also get a big man because they do need some bigs. Outside of that, that's where you're going for potential. Just go after the guys you have a kind of you know feeling that they're going to be extremely, extremely good because we don't need to have a roster filled with high floor guys, but the ceilings aren't that crazy. We need to find the hidden gems, and they have so many different shots in the dirt with this one. Got to start digging. I think they might hit on one if they do it that way. So for me, I think you go boomer bust all the way, but you do want to make sure you address some sort of high output scoring guard in the mix there because I do think SJ could benefit from someone like that pretty damn greatly but moving on from that we're gonna be going straight into the big board and I've already done a couple episodes on this and now we have gotten into pick number 20 we're going to be going from 20 down to 16 in this episode. If you guys want to check out the first installment when where I went from 30 to 26, was two days ago, and then obviously yesterday I did 25 through 21. But at 20, we're going to start things out with Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. And this is a high floor guy. This is a person who, yeah, I think the, the floor is relatively high with him. Is he going to be a star? Probably not, but he's someone that you're going to be able to play pretty decent scale of minutes and you're just gonna be able to laser out some threes so maybe the value should be higher with him based on that but when I look at how I want to rank this I want to look at if they're all around if they're elite everywhere and for me I think Corey Kispert is going to be a very very top of the line shooter in the NBA because with Gonzaga he was taking shots off the move now was he On the ball, like Isoeen clearing out to take shots? Absolutely not. But he's not going to be that for the team. You just need to have him in the corner, have him in the wing, kick him, you know, kick the ball to him when he's wide open, and he'll be able to hit. And good thing is, you know, at six foot six, he can kind of play. Right now, he's kind of playing a small forward, but he can move a little bit. So that is one of the positives when you do look at him. But you get this guy expecting a shooter, and you look at everything else. Kind of as a secondary but he is a cream of the crop guy he's like a matisse theibel except instead of being that defender he's going to be that shooter and he's going to be very very great and when you look at the numbers i mean he played four seasons with gonzaga but he shot 44 percent from three last year and he averaged six and a half attempts the year before that shot almost 44 percent again and he was taking 5.4 attempts two seasons before He was still shooting amazing, 37% sophomore year, and he begun shooting 35% from three. When you look at the free throw percentage, this guy started out shooting 66% from the foul line. Granted, he didn't take a lot of shots from there, but he shot 88% from the foul line this season. He's a certified bucket getter, and he's going to get you double digits. Now, whether it's a bench roll or whatever the case may be, I think he's someone that you'd bring in and he'd be able to help improve your stars. This is a player that you would want if you're a playoff team, if you're trying to contend. You sneak him in the rotation as long as he has suitable defense. I think that Corey Kispert is going to be a home run pick if they're not, you know, looking for everything. He's definitely one of those players you pick with a set skill in mind, that shooting. He's going to be able to provide that, but also maybe a little bit of defense in there as well when you look at the weaknesses with Kispert I will say assists I mean he wasn't really needed to be you know that like point forward type so I guess you don't really knock it but he only averaged 1.8 assists came to turnovers he averaged 1.3 I don't see him having the ball in his hands that much unless you know it's one of those just get the ball and pop it it's gonna be like that Joe Harris type almost where his job is to just wait and once you give it to him he's going to cash in and be very very beneficial he's not very athletic as a player which tends to be a problem but i think since he's so perimeter centric it really shouldn't matter all that much so he alleviates the blow a little bit just by how he plays and on the other end of the ball i mean like i said he is six foot six but the good thing with him is his defense is Pretty decent. And when I say decent, I think it has the ability to actually be kind of above average for the position. He is decent off the ball. Now on the ball, he's shown signs, a little flaky there, but I'm not gonna knock him down any pegs. I think he's suitable on defense. Big thing is though, that three-point shot is going to make him a lot of money. So I'm gonna place him at pick number twenty. He's just gonna be that like bench guy. He's going to have a lot of attraction, and it's not just going to be like past a rookie contract. People will want to have a player, not just Corey Kispert in general, but the archetype of you know his play is so big right now in the league, so he's going to be able to be, be around for a good bit. Past Corey Kispert, though, I'm going to be talking about Cam Thomas out of LSU. And when I did my mock draft, I always tend to do this. But I have one person who slides ridiculously on the draft board. And then I'm finished and I'm like, damn, how did that guy fall that far? And why did I make him fall that far? I had Cam Thomas somehow landing at 36 to the Thunder. I don't think that's going to happen, man. I think he's got a lot of people looking at him right now. He's getting the workouts in. And I was looking at the Ringers, you know, big board from Kevin O'Connor he has him as a top 10 player, he has him at number 9 on the board, and I'd like to imagine I'm higher than most on Cam Thomas, number 9 is a pretty hot take from him, and I have to commend him for it, I will say, you know, some of the comps he was given, it does make sense, and when you look at the film from Cam Thomas, yeah, I mean, you say say 9 right now, you never have the top 10 or the lottery all being lottery picks. There's always those shockers in there. So, if you want to go after sleeper picks, Cam Thomas does make some sense. He's a six foot four guard out of LSU, 210 pounds, and he is 19 years old. This guy is a monster on the offensive end. He averaged 23 points and shot 88% from the foul line during the season. On top of it, shot 32.5% from downtown which is yeah it's mediocre it definitely could be better but he's pretty damn good the big deal though was the point production he was ironing out and just like Kispert was you know a master of shooting so was Cam Thomas but instead of that you know catch and shoot sedentary role cam thomas is his best when he is on the move and that is what makes him such an intriguing prospect you're gonna find him running the floor he wants to drive in he's gonna try to absorb contact if you put him in the mid-range he will pull up and from downtown he's gonna be shooting 28 maybe even 30 footers when you give him the room that's not what you see every day and especially not from a guy who's mocked really late first round right now that is the consensus with him so he's able to shoot it and when you look at a guy like cam thomas he's of that same mold of frank jackson of jordan clarkson the whole purpose of him is you play him off the bench and you just want that quick burst of offense you want to shift the momentum he's able to swing that for you and if he's bricking and he's playing like a, a Dion Waiters. That's what I've heard a lot with Cam Thomas, actually. You just pull him out and you bring other guys back in. It is what it is. But when you get him on fire, which he clearly did with LSU, averaging 23 points a game, you're changing the entire landscape of the 48-minute game. I mean, he's going to put up points. You're going to get that hot streak. And you're going to force a timeout from the opposition. Those are kinds of guards who people rave about. And I think a lot of the reason why guys like him, Highland, for example, they're getting so much attraction, even quickly from last year, is Jordan Clarkson. I mean, this guy has been ridiculous. I think a better example, of course, though, is Frank Jackson, because Frank Jackson is inconsistent when he played for um, the Pelicans, actually, last season, I guess two seasons ago now. He'd have an amazing game, and then he'd shoot like 20% for a 10-game stretch. It was wild. So I think that's kind of the floor where you look at a guy like a Cameron Johnson, but he can work his way up to kind of that six-man role like Clarkson is having where you bring him in as an immediate scorer, and even though he's not coming in at the in the starting five, you know he's one of the top five players on the team. So I don't know if he cracks as a starter Like, you're going to have him as the team leader, but he will be dropping points, and that is so valuable in the game. The big deal with him, though, is how is he able to translate as a playmaker? Because we know with the ball in his hands, he's able to dribble, he's able to create space for himself, but can he create the room and find others wide open? It's pretty obvious he can create room for himself. He's got teammates that are going to be open, but is he going to start chucking up shots, or is he going to kick it out to them and you know get other people involved that's going to be the swing factor as to his position and then also where you kind of use him uh, at least from a minute minute standpoint and also yeah where you would slot him at but yeah he's one of the more intriguing guys that you have in this draft class even off the ball he showed good signs cutting to the basket and I think the way that he kind of drives in as well with that headed steam does get him more of those free throws I don't exactly know how he's going to get called or officiated when it comes to free throws because the way he was playing at LSU, this guy was a straight up foul magnet. He averaged 7.23s a game with LSU. He averaged 7.6 free throws a game with LSU. I don't have the college stats up on me, but I'd have to assume he had the most out of guards. I don't think anyone would be close to that. When you say, oh, someone shot more free throws than threes, that's not that crazy. But when you set the bar that high with 7.2, that means something. So when it comes to scoring, yeah, he's on that level of you're looking at a premier six man in the league who would be getting starting minutes. So at 19, you got a stud in Cam Thomas. Right after him, you got Nashawn Bones Highland out of VCU he's kind of that same type as cam thomas i'd say the comparisons would still be similar as like that bench guy like the frank jacksons like the clarksons but also emmanuel quickly because cam thomas he's a just pure blood scorer the Bones highland he is amazing at scoring the basketball from three but he's also very good at passing to his teammates and that is what emmanuel quickly kind of strives himself upon so he gets you those 30 footers, he has more 30 foot clips than I got on Cam Thomas, so just take that for what it's worth, but he likes to shoot from long ranges, he goes into the two, he'll step in, his step back jumper is beautiful, so is Cam Thomas's by the way, but yeah, Highlands is also going to create that space, he was cooking up everybody, one by one, he could have been calling people up to him in the NBA Combine scrimmage, they would have cowered away from him, and they should have, because he was a man on a mission in his first game, I think he was able to just drop out of the second one, because he already did enough at that point, with VCU, he didn't get to play in the tournament, because they had COVID violations, someone had it, health and safety kicked him out, which was a very bad kind of luck of the draw for them but he still recuperated a lot of his draft value and now he's kind of seen as a first round prospect again so when I look at him I look at that quickly player where he'll be averaging a decent amount of points and it's not like a Thomas where if he's not scoring the basketball well luck's luck's out over with man you just got to go back to the bench he can contribute as a passer and that is what makes him so damn special six foot two so you're not going to put him at shooting guard he's 20 years old he has some room to grow as a player I'd expect him to be averaging double digits in his prime and then also should be getting a lot of assists I don't know if he's going to be a starter but I do kind of like that quickly comparison kind of look at him as the indicator of what Bones Island will be doing in the future at number 17 I have probably my favorite prospect in this draft class. This is a person I have been loving to death since February. And it is Isaiah Todd out of the G League Ignite. 19-year-old, 6'9", 210 pounds. He can play at the 4 or the 5. And his potential on offense is beautiful. You're looking at a starting caliber guy here. If not, you're looking at a premier bench scorer. With the G League Ignite last year, he was able to get buckets from the mid-range. His turnaround was beautiful, and his three-point shot was also a work of art. He is able to get the shots up easily, and even though he only averaged three a game, I still think that was pretty fair. A lot of them are coming off of pick-and-pops, and he shot 36% from downtown doing so. That mid-range was a big factor for him, though. Like I said, the turnaround, the pull-up, you know, he can just do whatever he wants in the mid-range. And when it comes to attacking the basket, I will say I think he could use a little bit more help there. Same goes with crashing the rebounds. He kind of cowers away from any sort of contact there. He only averaged 4.9 a game, which, I mean, you know, for a guy you would want to play at the 4 and the 5, that's not particularly amazing, so maybe, just maybe, he can kind of fix his aggression down there, but as a scorer, he's one of the better power forwards that you are going to find in this draft class, and he somehow has been in this second round conversation for so long, it makes zero sense, I mean, when he was playing for the G League Ignite, he was playing better than Jalen Green and Jonathan Kuminga in some of those games, and it's the punchline I use, it's the one-liner I use with Isaiah Todd so much, there were two games this last season where he was the reason they were in the game, he's, he's dropping like 27, has another 20 point outing, he was able to put the ball in the basket. And it's not like a, you know, back to basket big in the G League where they're going to average a double-double regardless because the competition is just not there when it comes to centers. Since he was around the perimeter so much, I think he seamlessly moves over. I don't even think that him being 19 is going to be a problem. He's not a raw player by any stretch of the imagination. He has a clear palette in his game, and he's growing day by day. This is a person who fits with a playoff roster. This is a person who fits with a rebuilding roster, like the Thunders. You put him in, and he's going to give you a quick burst of scoring. Could start him in that bench roll, but I could see him being you know, a decent starter nothing to be like, you know, I don't think he's going to be a star or anything, but he definitely has that complete package, at least from the offensive side. Now, he's not going to be that amazing rim runner. He's not going to be throwing down crazy oops. He's capable of going for some alley oops. He's capable of finishing. So I don't see it as a major concern, at least from my perspective. The big thing, though, does come from the defense. And one of the beauties about Isaiah Todd is that since he's kind of so lanky, He's able to kind of roam around the floor and that turns him from just this one-sided player to now he's going to be a two-way guy. Since his build is lanky, like I mentioned, he's able to close out on shots and he's able to get rejection. So it's one of those things where I think if you play bully ball straight up on Isaiah Todd right now, it's not going to work out in Isaiah Todd's favor for the most part but when you got guys, the small forwards, the power forwards, trying to play on the perimeter with him, you're not going to kill him with a step back jumper. You know, he'll be able to close out. He can make the correct reads in those situations. And even when it came to some of the perimeter defense on the guards, he was holding up in some stints. So I think the mobility he has is very special for the position. We'll have to see how he grows into his body there. But yeah, I mean, he does have kind of that flexibility when it comes to where he's going to defend um, on the other side. And that's something that every single coach should just be completely salivating over. Did I not mention this man is 19 years old doing this? So he has that package offensively. If you want a stretch for who can score everywhere, you need to be taking a good hard look at Isaiah Todd. Second rounder. Personally, I think he's one of about five players in this draft class where they're not going to be selected in the second round. I think that he's going to be picked in the 20s somewhere. If he's not, it's a complete joke to Isaiah Todd. He's going to come in. He's going to be a baller. This is the sleeper. This is the Mitchell Robinson of the class. When you're looking at second round projected guys who come out of nowhere, you have Isaiah Todd. He's the Paul Reed on steroids. Paul Reed, like back in the second round last year, he dominated at the G League level. So did Isaiah Todd. And he had to play with two top five presumptive picks in Jalen Green and Jonathan Kuminga. And he still managed to make things work. The tandem of himself and Jalen Green on those screens were nasty. He's going to be able to do that if he gets selected by the Thunder with Shea Gilgis Alexander and it's not the three he's not just a pick and pop guy he is a roller who can dunk it he's faster than your traditional power forward he is a mismatch just waiting to happen and he's not like this out of position small forward where he's not going to hold up he'll do a decent job guarding up power forwards i think from the get-go it wasn't like he was getting torched now like i said if you put you know like ennis Cantor or some crap on him then it's going to be a problem You know, one of those rebounding bigs might take advantage of his kind of lack of aggression when it comes to hounding down the the rebounds, but at a base level, he's got one of the better archetypes for a 19-year-old in this draft class, and I think if you would have put him on a Blue Blood college team and he had this exact same film, there's no way you look at him and think he's a second rounder. This guy is a true talent top 30, and like I said, top 20 guy. In this draft class so I really love Isaiah Todd I think I had a lot of kind of steals almost that I just had in this area but Isaiah Todd he takes the cake I see his floor as still being a very very good player and considered a major steal of this draft class ceilings truthfully hard to predict with him but he could be a starter in like five years time that's what I'll go with with Isaiah Todd he's going to be a shocker to a lot of people last guy I want to talk about though and this is going to be at 16 is another front court guy it's Kai Jones out of Texas he's 6 foot 10 221 pounds and he is 20 years old now Kai Jones he you know he was not putting up crazy numbers and there's always those potential picks where you pick him solely based off of potential, but I still think you gotta read him between the lines with Kai Jones. This isn't a potential thing with him. Kai Jones has a very good looking tape, and a lot of the skills he's shown is translatable to the next level, and there were so many guys on Texas's roster, primarily Jericho Sims, that he was also dealing with at that five, so it wasn't like he was running the show just being able to stat pad. He could not do that at all, but he was still a very good big man, and I don't, you know, whenever I looked at him, he wasn't the most impressive guy in the Big 12 championship, that was clearly Jericho Jones, but Kai Jones, to get to that point, was very good, and there was a lot of traction towards his name uh, heading into that Big 12 championship game anyways though he averaged 8.8 points and 4.8 rebounds with the Longhorns last year also averaged 0.8 steals and 0.9 blocks so you look at that and say that is the most illustrious stat line ever like there's nothing there and you would be correct those are not numbers that would garner you a top 16 pick on my mock board this is not a lottery level stat line that you'd see but he is so damn athletic. If you want a lob threat, Kai Jones is going to be that lob threat for you and he's going to do an excellent job. When you look at someone who's not just going to be going for the lobs, you want someone who can shoot from downtown. Kai Jones was doing that. Now we had a limited sample size, which is where you kind of think about it for a little bit. Is it going to translate? Well. He shot 38% last year, and he averaged 1.3 three-pointers a game. So maybe that flips the scripts, because 1.3, clearly that's not a lot. And from the foul line, he shot 68% on 2.8 attempts, so I guess that's a little bit larger. But there you go. I mean, he has the seeds of a stretch big, but also, when you look at him at Attacking the Basket... I mean, you look at him, you're thinking of a damn John Collins at Jackson Hayes, just a complete monster on that side of things. But that's only the offensive side. I have not even talked about what he is like on the defensive side of the basketball. And it comes from the shot blocking ability. The numbers don't show it, but he is one of the better shot blockers in this draft class. If you try driving at him, He's going to be able to swatch. He's got a decent wingspan on him. And since he's so fast at roaming the floor, when you see him, you're going to think he's like a small forward running around, not a center. So he's able to get active, not just around that painted area, really, but also if you want to try to drag him out into the perimeter, he can play adequate defense. And we're going to have to see more, just like everyone else. How are they going to defend against the NBA point guards where they're insane? But at the college level, he was doing a serviceable job switching around and trying to work on that mid-range and perimeter as a defender. So the mobility, that's the major plus and that that's how he's able to dunk so damn well. Also in transition, that lob threat part still comes in. Put on a little bit of moves, put that saute on and get some buckets. I will say though, he wasn't shooting all that often. Like I said, the 1.3, that's not good. And even sometimes he would second-guess himself before he ended up taking some of those shots. So the mental side of the game can totally destroy you as a shooter. I bring up the Baisley streak almost every episode now, but it's really a common case that you see all the time where someone just freezes up and because of it, their numbers plummet. Maybe Kai Jones could become susceptible to something like that. Yeah, hope not, because if he can shoot the three efficiently you're looking at someone who would be a perfect match next to sga if you could somehow scoop him up in the mid first that is a project that you would love to invest in some deal besides that though is even though he's a great lob threat if you try just cramming a pass his way sometimes he'll turn the ball over you just simply cannot catch it happens to the best hopefully he can end up improving on that but really he is just that interior guy who's worked on the three look at the mid-range game he's pulled up sometimes for shots which is promising i don't know if it's completely something i want to say as part of his arsenal though doesn't have a post game though he doesn't like playing back to the basket so that is the one critique i would have in regards to kai jones but those are the five guys i wanted to talk about today i'll just run back through the list again we started with Corey kispert cam thomas right after that nashawn bones highland Isaiah Todd, and Kai Jones. So in the next episode, we're going to be breaking down prospects from 15 to 11 in this draft class. And then the day after that, we're finally tapping in to the top 10 I got on my board. And I might have to rearrange things afterwards because I've almost made pitches for myself while I'm doing these things. There's a lot of talent in this draft class. So maybe we modify it. Maybe we modify the mock draft I did from last week but we will have to see other than that though guys that is gonna wrap things up for this episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya